Hello and welcome to Outward, your one-stop shop for what Fox News calls the gender ideological Marxist war on Christmas. I am Jules Gill-Peterson and this is a true fact about me. I actually only really started celebrating Christmas a few years ago because I started dating my then new boyfriend who had a long tradition of getting together with queer friends over Mm. the holiday season. And I was just too head over heels to stay the Grinch that I had been previously. Oh, Jules, that's lovely. Uh, I'm Brian Lauder. I'm an editor at Slate. Uh, Happy to be a warrior in that Marxist, uh, whatever you said, war on Christmas. I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, glad to hear what you guys do I'm Danny Lavery. I periodically join you too, and I'm joining you today. And uh, I, the, my only contribution to the war on Christmas is I have some neighbors across mm. the street who really go all out decorating, and they have a little oh, banner that oh, says God. "Jesus is the reason for the season." And I, I felt like I finally like aging into a more relaxed person because I saw it and I was like, "That's fine." Yeah, that's Holler- that's personal growth. Yeah, I was just like, "All right." I mean. Like, they're not wrong, you know? It's, it doesn't mean that I have to make right. that my reason. But, like, sure, Christmas has something to do with the birth of Jesus. True. I'm yeah, not going to fight yeah. with you about that one. Well, the other reason for this season, I'm in upstate New York and drove by this house last night that had truly, like, 80 or 90 lit-up little Santas and snowmen all over the lawn. And that was truly <laughs> the most garish, beautiful, campy sight I've seen in a long time. And so I hope it was either... A middle-aged gay man who is just like enjoying everything, uh, you know, over the top. Or it's just a middle-aged straight woman, um, and I love her just as much. So yeah, yeah. Blessings to all of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, in the interest of being a slightly bigger tent, I also want to wish a belated happy Hanukkah. Uh, a happy eating Chinese food on December 24th to gay mm-hmm. New Yorkers and a uh, happy fuck celebrating the season to all of our listeners who identify with that statement. Um, but it's also the end of the year. So we thought this might be a good time to take stock um, as this truly bizarre 12 months that was apparently 2023 comes to an end. And Brian had the wonderful idea for us to do some extra special prides and provocations. So each of us has like brought one pride and one provocation that sort of sums up how we're feeling at the end of this year. Of course, haunted by the terrible truth that an entire new year, this is true, (laughs) called 2024, uh, is around the corner but uh, we kind of wanted to make sure we sort of end this year on a high note. So we're going to switch up the the usual order. And so we'll dive into our provocations for the year first, and then we'll share our 2023 pride. So I'm very excited to hear what you both have to share. So shall we shall we begin with provocations? Uh, Danny, you're you're our proverbial guest today. So would you like to to kick us off? Um, gosh. Uh... Provoke us, Danny. Provoke us. Yeah, I I mean, um, this hardly feels like it counts, but there feels like something genuinely provoking to me about Mm. constantly being marketed to with Timothy Chalamet's Willy Wonka. Um, (laughs) I I feel that somehow gayness is responsible for this. I I felt like a a deep sense of rage Mm. the other day because there was a poster where he was clearly trying to be impish. Like he was, mm. he was trying to cast impishness upon me, and and I just remember thinking, "You're a child. Like you, you don't have the age to to invite me on a whimsical adventure. Um, you are you are a young boy, 
and I, I felt insulted. I felt like uh, in 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 old uh, war times, like when someone hands you a white feather because you haven't signed up for World War One. And I was just like, I actually <laughs> did sign up for World War One. I'm just not in my <laughs> uniform today, but I actually just served at the Battle of the Somme for like eight months. So. Uh, it just <laughs> truly, I felt affronted. I felt old. I felt indignant, like a young person is mm. insulting me for my age and doesn't realize it. Um, and it's maybe not right to cast this at the feet of gayness, but I'm going to do it anyways. I feel like he's somehow responsible for like a third of the gay community. Uh, and so that that's my unreasonable grievance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not the first like straight twink in history, but no, I mean, I just like, yeah, you know, it's like, honey, I, I had met people with your exact body frame, you know, before you, before the idea for you to wear a sequin halter top, you know, to an award show was even a twinkle in your eye. And I don't begrudge uh, him the this... halter top. He should wear whatever he likes. I, I don't mind if he wants to be in Dune, but there's something specifically about like, <laughs> I own a factory. I'm inviting you to take a tour. No, you don't. You're a child. Yeah. You don't own that. Right. Well, the the whole like Wonka backstory too, like to me, that actually feels like in this era where everything is a remake and a prequel and a sequel, like I, I'll just say it since we're here being provoked. I find this turning culture profoundly homophobic in that it is like entirely yeah. uncreative. Like the one thing that like makes the, the Willy Wonka character compelling beyond, you know, Gene Wilder's like <clears throat> classic performance. And it's just sort of over the topness is like, He's mysterious. You don't know yeah. his backstory. <laughs> like you, why, why would I want to see? Also, yeah, you don't want to see an adolescent version of this person. That's just like weird. And I don't know. It just to me, it smacks of the straight mind. It does. He's also he's queer for that, right? Like that character mm. and in the book too. I think is sort of because he exists outside of I don't know, like normal life, normal quote. Right. Quote, quote. That's what that's what gives him his mystery and why he's so sort of sort of frightening at the same time as being compelling. And that's why he's I I think a lot of queer kids probably gravitate toward that story. Yeah. So giving him giving him like a a a, a fa- familial origin story like makes. Yeah, that totally like undermines all of that. Yeah, and that makes so much sense about why I hate backstory based prequels <laughs> so much. If, if now all I can imagine is like somebody making a prequel to the boys in the band just about the phone. <laughs> oh, like, God. how did that phone get installed that day? Uh, and the the worst part is, I can see that happening, and that says oh something about God. society. How did each of them become homosexuals? What What is the origin of that particular was, yeah, sexual their, perversion? Their, their I just real. want like a, a 1950s psychiatrist to give the most awful. <laughs> well, actually, you know, it turns out all of their mothers were really overbearing. Yeah, and all their mothers had used the phone, you know. So <laughs> yes, that exactly. Eventually it gets installed. Women be talking. <laughs> that's a good provocation although i hear apparently i don't know if this is true or not because i certainly don't know anyone who's done it but i hear like people are going to see this movie and i, I, like, know. I don't even know what to make of that like there are other yeah. movies out right now that seem worth seeing um May <laughs> yeah. december anyone i don't know you know just like okay whatever I refuse. I refuse. Yeah, between Todd Haynes and Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka, I mean, hello. I know how I want to ring in the new year. 
I feel, you know, quite provoked, but I'm ready to escalate. So Brian, can you take me to an even higher level? <laughs> yes. So I'm going to talk about something that I've, I've kind of been circling around all year off and on. I actually hit on it in a recent episode too, where I had a pride where I congratulated the queer OnlyFans sex workers that presumably benefited from George Santos's <laughs> embezzlement and grift, mm-hmm. which was, uh, of course, revealed in the House Ethics Committee investigation that eventually led to his removal from Congress earlier this month. Yeah, so I, I was proud for them that they got some of that money along with Sephora and what were the other brands they gave stuff to? Like, anyway, what followed immediately after him getting removed from Congress was that he immediately pivoted, of course, to doing cameos for like 500 a pop. Oh my God. And clearly, like, positioning himself as some kind of reality show villain figure. Like, he's definitely going to be on Dancing with the Stars sometime soon if he doesn't go to prison first, but that will probably take a while. Right. And of course, ugh, it's just like so frustrating and provoking to me. Many of the gays are out here loving this turn. And paying this criminal to say happy birthday to their friends or whatever. (laughs) And it's just the latest and and worst uh, development in this trend that we've been seeing all year long. It's been provoking me all year long, which is like the divification of George Santos. Early in the year, I felt like we were sort of holding this off somewhat. Um, Just as the actual reporting was happening, we were finding out how corrupt he was. Um, But then... Something about his, maybe we can talk about this, something about his particular self-presentation and like the absurder details of his background, like him having been like a bad check passing drag queen in Brazil, like made turning him into some kind of Mm. gay antihero, like seem like a possibility and then something people were pursuing. And so, as we all saw, as the year went on, uh, we fell for this as a community, or a lot of us did. We memefied him into this fierce diva, and it felt like on some kind of level we were rooting for him. And I just want to say what provokes me about this is not that he's, like, embarrassing or, like, bad for the gays or any respectability politics, things like that. What bothers me about it is that it is a misuse of camp sensibility, particularly the mode of camp (laughs) that sort of rescues, you know, like, the messy or fallen figure like the diva and, like, brings them in for gay cultural adoration. This is not that. This is, like, a loathsome, manipulative, (laughs) trashy man that does not deserve that magic. And so I'll just end by saying, like, you know, it's possible he'll serve time and and get justice for his crimes. But we already gifted him a a path forward or, like, a future um, by branding him as campy. And and so that's kind of undermined the seriousness of his actions and further debased, you know, further debased the government institutions that he made a mockery of. And it's just a real misuse of, of queer power, It's too late to do anything about it now, I'm sure, but I can still go out of the year feeling provoked, and I am. (laughs) I think rightly so, yeah. I mean, he's just such a, like, I don't know. Maybe this is, like, too much of a free association, but, like, I try not to consume too much George Santos media, but I've seen, like, a couple of just the most bizarro, you know, interview clips where he just strings together really weird sentences that have, like, completely different sets of citations and references from totally different cultural spheres, (laughs) none of which surely have anything to do with his life. And then there's, like... Apparently, he's just out there basically engaging in like light revenge mm-hmm. against other members of Congress, right? By spreading wild rumors, which of course sort of lack credibility because he's such a <laughs> such an obvious liar. A liar. But um, he kind of feels like like an AI generated <laughs> like psyop, which is to say, like one that's not very elegant or smart, mm-hmm. but that like someone told a bot 
to like consume the gay internet for a really long time yeah. and then like manifest as this sort of like sleeper agent. Oh, we'll take out, we'll take down the gays from the inside. And like, he's just constantly malfunctioning. It doesn't make any sense. Like that's actually been way too generous. Cause like you said, this guy is actually just like a shitty grifter right. um, and like a political criminal who's like totally corrupt. So actually there's like nothing particularly <laughs> novel or interesting, but just like, I just feel like we're so hungry for interesting things to happen that aren't just purely depressing or right. aren't just like another reminder of the like slow march of fascism that like, not to psychoanalyze, but I could imagine like part of our fascination with George Santos is like, we wish it was more hilarious and scandalous in a kind of fun right. way than it really is. Look, drag queens passing bad checks, beautiful <laughs> chef's That's kiss, fun, yeah. <laughs> a vaunted tradition going back decades. Right. But, that's not really who he is, sadly. If that's who had been elected to Congress, like on those terms, like on the, that, that's yeah, a- I would vote for like uh, for for a drag queen who passes bad checks for Congress. Mm-hmm. Probably not if she was Republican. Yeah, and now. I think yeah. too, like I I can understand that desire to see someone like truly disruptive, not like sorry in the tech sense, but just like uh, causing chaos. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in the house, like that's right. you know laudable but similarly i I have occasionally found like tweet jokes about him amusing but the idea of like literally sending money to someone who's being charged with like money laundering and the theft of public funds that to me it almost feels homeopathic like he steals i should send him money (laughs) somehow that's associated with the possibility of like (laughs) future economic justice and I really do think that's what we're seeing is like gay mm. homeopathy logic of just like, <laughs> if I send enough money to this guy, maybe the next round of like Congress people are just going to like steal money, but then do like a Robin Hood style redistribution. And I think maybe it's that proximity to like, we almost got it. Um, and and if we'd gotten that, yeah. that would have been really interesting and cool. But we didn't. He he stole for himself. He's oh, no, He's a bad person. He stole public funds. Which the public needs. Yeah, he's a bad person. I'm being a scold, but we should all think about that. Really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's giving me a lot of second thoughts before I announce my campaign uh-huh. <laughs> uh, for an open house seat. Yeah, because yeah, I, I thought the gravy train was real sweet and I could use a new wardrobe, but I'm feeling <laughs> like that's just not the way the wind's flowing. Um, Jules, tell us about your provocation, please. Okay, well, so do I have a a smooth slide? I'm just going to move us from the House to the Senate. Mm. I'm feeling provoked in a kind of crafts way by this little brouhaha story that is, you know, just breaking out of the Senate where a Senate staffer apparently filmed himself getting absolutely railed um, (laughs) in a Senate hearing room. I personally... I just haven't watched the video. I think I saw like one screen grab from it and I was like, yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that video a million times. <laughs> Reading the like Politico playbook rundown of this, I actually think it really hits on this theme to me of like the just desperate need to return to the nostalgia of a different era of Washington scandal where it's like, mm. sure, it's very 2023 that like this guy films himself bottoming, you know, in the room where Amy Klobuchar sometimes is on the dais. Oh my God. I don't know if it's like he was like making porn that he was like monetizing or like whatever all of this sort of like can you believe (gasps) all this like feigned gasping just feels like sort of grasping at straws and we're like can we actually just like talk about (laughs) what is going on in that building regularly (laughs) Um, that has like is 
of incredible consequence to people, including people who like to get fucked uh, sure. you know <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot there's a lot at stake for us find it sort of silly and like tiring and i don't know i just think like as we like descend into this bizarro world where on the one hand we have all the like liberal representation like there are queer people you know in elected positions but in no way does the thing that like sometimes some people promise that it would like stop political homophobia you know just like through representation and like we have to deal with the fact that like anti-gay politics are actually really important to the far right and only getting stronger I just feel like it just feels like falling for some kind of weird bait to like pretend that this is a meaningful scandal and also like I guess the thing that I'm provoked about sort of closer to home is any sort of like defensive reaction from within the LGBT community about like this makes us look so bad how could he do that like you know it's like honey let's be real whenever right-wing members of Congress themselves aren't fucking somewhere in that building, they're going to pretend that all gay people all the time are metaphorically, if not literally, getting fucked in public in order to like take away our rights. So like, it really doesn't matter to me if one guy had the balls yeah. to actually go into that room and film it. Like, who cares? It's so not interested. And I mean, like, you know, just to say, like, even in this Politico playbook article, I was hate reading this morning like you know pretty much all democratic senators who are interviewed are like I don't, this is not important mm. i have to like finish my legislative session and go back to my to my home states so, like thank you some people are being like chill about it i just think as someone who studies the rise of authoritarianism for my job i'm like these kinds of weird moments of like getting excited as if something is worthy of our attention that's just so obviously distracted and also just framed in a homophobic way and the best solution you can master is respectability politics it just feels stupid and i'm just like can we get over this like obviously they didn't have front-facing cameras in the 90s when culture wars around this kind of stuff were really peaking or senators were always tapping their toes, uh, you know, in washroom stalls. But like, it's really just resuscitating that. Uh, and I just feel like that's not a not a path I'm eager for us to to, to trace again. I'm glad that you brought up this very important story, Jules, because I, I was... It's <laughs> super important. I was worried that we might not get to address it on the show before the before the year was out. Uh, <laughs> but no, the, the respectability politics reaction has been really disappointing to me, too. It's just like, that's... Yeah. Like, ew. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the guy probably should not have done that and maybe needs to, like, get checked out. The risk-taking is a little concerning to me for him. But... It, no, it's like it has, it is not like embarrassing to us. It's not like degrading the institution in any more than like George Santos did by getting elected, right? Uh, and so, or Matt, or Gates. Matt Gates, or any of, uh, right? I mean, I'm just being about gays, but like, no, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. many of the other horrible, horrible people who are slithering around that place every day, this is not concerning. It doesn't speak poorly of us at all. <laughs> so I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you brought that up. That is, it is very provoking. Yeah. It also just seems like, the guy got fired. He's probably going to get in some more trouble. I, I'm not. It, it feels a little bit like, yeah, yeah he's going to get in trouble for this. I don't think he's going to be able to do it again because they're probably going to make sure he can't come back in the building. I don't right. think this is about to like lead to a, a rash of people doing the same. So it also just kind of feels like, yeah, he he's good. He's in trouble now. So 
people have already handled this. I don't think there's ever a danger of there being an underreaction to this. Like that part's going to get addressed. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, similarly, like I don't necessarily want to pathologize anything, but it it does seem to me like if you film yourself having sex in a recognizable room and then send it around in a semi-private group chat, like that's on some level you're aware you are not keeping this uh, mm-hmm. locked yeah. down. Uh, you are you are creating the possibility, yeah, yeah. which again, like if you're really into exhibitionism, I imagine would be like a pretty dizzying sure. series of oh my god, I could get in more trouble than anyone else. Let me briefly like <laughs> lose my vision as that's so hot. I I, I feel for the guy. You know that's tough. Not everyone gets so yeah. close to their dreams. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> to the sun, <laughs> so close to that dais, uh, which is you know a word used in in a, a variety of new sentences in, in in print journalism that I never thought I would get to read. You know, it strikes me this could be an interesting scene for the boys in the band sequel set in the 2020s where of course the big question is how did that smartphone get there and they're all in the band that plays uh the hail to the chief whenever the president walks into the room i it took me a second all i could think of was the oh president theme song. Exactly. i was like i know that's not the name oh my god oh hold on we gotta call the writer's room for yeah, red white and blue the sequel we I need aaron sorkin on this yeah we're about to be, get rich aaron sorkin's the voice in the band too i would watch Well, this feels like a good place to take a break. So we'll be back with some prides to wrap up your 2023 in just a moment. And we are back with your outward end of the year 2023 prides and provocations. All right, Brian and Danny, I think it's time to talk about some prides. What's got you feeling Proud as we arrive at the end of this year. Brian, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So listeners may remember that back way back in January, um, we talked to Little Miss Hot Mess, who is a drag queen, uh, mm. who's uh, like a leader and involved in the organization Drag Story Hour. Drag Story Hours are these things around the country at libraries and places like that where drag queens read children's books to kids. Um, and they've been going on for a long time. They also, of course, as, as we discussed in that segment of sort of tracked over the year, this is a group that's been heavily heavily targeted by the right through protests, through legislation, just like a total war on Drag Story Hour as kind of a part of the culture that they that they think is you know, particularly dangerous from, from queer people. So I've chosen uh, Drag Story Hour, it's sort of the movement and its perseverance over the years, my pride, oh. because I, I think it represents a real distillation of the issues uh, at the heart of this like anti-queer legislation and backlash and erasure campaign, whatever, you know, whatever we want to call it, erasure campaign that we're living through. Um, I, I think it really shows us a lot. And I'm proud that that this group has uh, continued to thrive through the year. So just to set the scene a little bit, I think it's worth knowing that in 2023, at least 40 bills were proposed to attempt to restrict or outright ban drag performances, which we we talked about this a bit. They were passed into law in Tennessee, Texas, Montana, and Arkansas. Book banning has been, been incredibly successful, especially in Florida, with schools and libraries preemptively removing LGBT-themed books without even being challenged. And we are on the cusp of this Project 2025, which is a right-wing plan to do many things when, you know, this is when Trump sensibly gets into the White House again. But one of them is to ban all LGBT material as pornography, or, or classify it, rather, excuse me, as pornography, um, including these kinds of uh, children's books that are that are queer. 
friendly. So this is happening. This is the context in which Drag Story Hour is existing. And it's worth mentioning, many people have taken it upon themselves to come uh, harass the queens at these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, parent, you know, People have come protested outside. People have made threats, bomb threats, that kinds of things to the libraries, such that Drag Story Hour has had, had to develop little programs, sub-programs, I guess that they call Shields Up and Royal Guard, which are like community-based protection services, basically, either blocking the kids from seeing the protesters outside or, you know, actually having security of a sort in the institutions. So that's the context. Meanwhile, this organization has grown this year. It has gotten its first multi-year grant, I found out, Mm -hmm. to continue its work. They have started Indigenous Story Hour chapter that's going around the country. So they're growing in the face of all of this, which is just amazing to me because it would be so easy not to, right? And I think What's what's striking about it to me and, and what I wanted to focus on in particular was that Drag Story Hour insists on keeping queer adults and art forms like sensibilities in contact with children, right? And a moment when we're pedophile blood, blood libel has been resurrected and they're like, you know, you're turning them queer, turning them trans. It would be so easy to retreat from that kind of contact right now. It would be almost natural to. And instead, Drag Story Hour saying, no, queer people need to be in the room with kids. And it also makes the case that I think is is itchy for some of us that meeting queer people when you're a kid and seeing queer art might indeed shape your future, right? Not necessarily to turn you gay or trans again, but just presenting you the possibility of different life paths, right? And and it insists that queer beauty and joy should be in the middle of a civic, uh, central civic institution like the library. Um, It's not something that should be hidden or feared. It shouldn't be erased. It should be right there in the middle of town, you know, like in the middle of busy town, like in the library. You know, I'm just so proud of of the queens and performers who do do the reading. I'm proud of the organizers who are making it possible and protecting everybody. And I'm glad are proud of also the parents who bring the kids to their events. Because this is, you know, it's it's just story time, but it's also kind of a, I think, a real front line of the battle that we're in. So pride for uh, Drag Story Hour. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, that's like one of the strange things about how censorship actually works politically is that it's like not usually about like, oh, no, the content that has been censored is somehow gone. And we don't, it's not, you know, we don't really live in that kind of um, media landscape anymore. Uh, we don't live in the, yeah, we don't live in that media landscape anymore. It's actually about mm-hmm. the quieting effect, right? And it's often actual material threats of violence <laughs> to to your body and to your people, to your community that that kind of stop you from from being in public in particular. And so it just strikes me that like, it makes so much sense to me that Drag Queen Story Hour is the place that is figuring out how to remain bold mm-hmm. and ambitious and not back down because that is the political inheritance of drag queens. Yeah. They are the ones who dare to step off the stage out of the barn onto the streets, are the ones who put up with the most violence and the most shit from people and who developed the most incredible repertoires for not just, you know, enduring that, but also for throwing it back to people's faces and making them feel appropriately mm-hmm. bad for their bad behavior. And I just, yeah, and and I love... There is something about that civic aspect too. Like this wasn't a drag queen story hour, but I I had the occasion to participate in something at a large public library in New England recently. And I was like, you know, pulling up that morning and walking into this big library. And I had this moment of like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, this is like 
oh, it was like Trans Day of Remembrance, like big, big ass trans weekend at the at the public library. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I feel a little nervous all of a sudden. Like, yeah, sure, it's New England, but that doesn't mean yeah. anything. Um, and and then ultimately, like just being there that day and like seeing the library, the place that I most idolized as mm-hmm. a seven year old, uh, actually like be just full of queer and trans people and also just like very not not quietly at all, but just like organically, you know, saying that this is something that should be in the library. This is civic. This is public. Um, it was really nice. It felt it felt a lot more meaningful than my like initial twinge of of anxiety would have, you know, would have led me to believe. And I just, yeah, I think you're right. There's something we need to also like have political feelings that we want to get attached to if we're going to, you know mount a politics worth fighting for in, in in the foreseeable future and i just feel like drag story hour obviously is is giving serving that up to us uh with a lot more splendor <laughs> than that we could ever imagine yeah, yeah. Oh, so good danny what kind of pride do you have for us i think this year the thing that has been the most moving to me has been queer organizing for Palestinian solidarity. Um, I I think especially the Queers for Palestine march in Brooklyn last month. And this week, there was a gathering of primarily queer Muslim Palestinian Americans gathering at Stonewall to pray for the people of Palestine. And um, I think just in particular, pushing back against ideas about pinkwashing or ideas of like transactional solidarity, because, you know, often you'll kind of hear lobbed, like, if there's like a certain number of like gay protective legislation within Gaza, which which also like doesn't make sense. It's like they're not able to govern themselves right now. Mm-hmm. But sort of saying like if they don't have that, then obviously uh, queer people should support their genocide, <laughs> right. um, which is just like a deeply evil idea. Wow. Um, and and I think just seeing the the huge number of queer people who just are like, of course that's not true. Uh, of course, of course that's not true. Of course we're on the side of like, yeah people being allowed to live is genuinely beautiful. And especially when it feels like there's so much um, devastation and pain in both like the huge size and scale of the protests, as well as like thus far the relative inability of those protests to, to move the needle on a governmental level, but also just seeing that not slow it down, not stop it, seeing people um, in, in other countries blocking shipping containers. Uh, it's just like genuinely like, yeah, keep going. It's truly beautiful. Um, and and makes me genuinely proud. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Oh, okay, that was going to be my I pride, but I brought it back up because I thought there's a high chance one of us might do it. But again, this is like, it's one of those politically devastating circumstances where just the horror and scale of mass death, you know, you don't want that to be the prompt <laughs> for for anything. But here we are. And it's it's been really remarkable to me to see just how thoughtful and engaged people have been at just absolutely demolishing pinkwashing from day one. Yeah. Can we define that for our listeners real quick? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, pinkwashing, you know, could be applied to any number of, of different contexts. It, you could apply it to the United States, too, but it's sort of like the political political laundering or creation of alibis um, by, by using LGBTQ tolerance or legal protections as justification for, you know, for state imperialism or state violence that because... To excuse other, yeah. Yeah, because a government is, ostens- or a state is ostensibly 
you know, has good laws about gay marriage or something mm-hmm. that that then makes them morally righteous uh, in their exercise of of whatever kind of power, including military violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like a term that, you know, it's interesting to me, you know, it was a term that was often like, you know, it was like pretty academic um, 10, 10, 12 years ago. And it's wonderful to see it being utilized mm-hmm. uh, in a grassroots way. And it's felt so... I mean, really moving uh, to to see the testimony of, yeah, both queer Muslims, queer Palestinians, also queer Jewish folks and trans Jewish folks, like seeing all the queer rabbis at Jewish Voice for Peace yeah. demos and just like really, really refusing to allow a kind of reductionist narrative or a Manichaean kind of narrative to cloak what's really happening and also to see alternative propositions for like what it means to be for peace or for justice is is really powerful. At the heart of that are our queer and trans people and activists it's it's really yeah it's incredible yeah i agree um jules what do you have what's your backup my backup (laughs) it's it's a very good backup i think um well i guess i was really just feeling like a political queen um at the end of this year so i have one that also it seems like brian you and i were also on the same wave like mine kind of is in the same neighborhood as yours so my pride has to do with Moms for Liberty. Uh, not something I'm usually proud of, okay, but um, <laughs> you might remember Moms for Liberty from such classic political episodes as performing the role of a grieved white mother at your local school board meeting to censor <laughs> books if they feature any Black, queer, trans character or ideas. Or you might remember... In June of this year, the leader of an Indiana chapter of the organization quoted Hitler in a newsletter. Really cool stuff. Well, Moms for Liberty was founded in 2021, and they grew really fast to 285 chapters operating in 45 states. And basically, you know, they masquerade as a grassroots organization when in reality they have links to all the usual suspects in the sort of mega wing of the Republican Party and also receive consistently large donations from large conservative and anti-LGBTQ organizations, you know, people like the Heritage Foundation. But the thing is, last year, you know, if we were having this conversation at the end of 2022, things looked pretty rough. They ran around 500 candidates or they endorsed 500 candidates for school board seats throughout the country and last year won 275 of those races. So it was like a pretty good track record. However, this year has not been so kind to the alleged moms. So particularly in the November off-year elections, they really kind of lost a lot of key races in some of those very like... Mm. You know, the New York Times loves to fret over these suburban counties in Virginia, uh, in Pennsylvania, but also in states like Iowa. Uh, So, you know, for example, uh, in Iowa, Moms for Liberty endorsed 13 different candidates. Yeah, only one of them won. Uh, And some of these kind of big deal or bellwether counties in Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and Virginia all of their endorsed candidates lost. And, you know, I'm not like the biggest electoral queen in the world. I've only been an American citizen long enough to vote once. So what do I know? But but I think actually the takeaway for me here is, is really just around organizing uh, that, you know, these sorts of astroturfed versions of fake mm-hmm. right wing <laughs> grassroots, like I think part of what they do 
they're doing a lot. But part of what they do is they're just trying to make you feel fucking miserable. Like, who wants to go to a school board meeting when you have people absolutely lost in the midst of delusional soliloquies that you would need like a QAnon burner account to even partially decipher. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of what that what that ends up doing beyond it's just sort of masturbatory and like libidinally pleasurable for people on the right, part of what I think it does is just dispiriting to the left. It makes you feel like, well, I don't even know what to do now, right? Mm-hmm. If, if a, you know, YA book that touches on the life of Rosa Parks is being touted as like a, a communist conspiracy that like, mm-hmm. well, what, well, where's my point of entry into all of this? But I actually think, you know, because we're talking about such local, um, very, you know, proximate and in some ways often not that complicated to kind of run for or organize kinds of seats like school boards. I mean, this is a place for for maybe what I would call like effective harm reduction. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I don't think like winning school board seats back from Moms for Liberty is like really equivalent to justice in any particular way. However, what I think and what I was thinking about and what sort of made me want to make this my pride is that I think as we go into 2024, which let's face it is going to be a stupidly political year for a lot of reasons, I think we need some like nice wins. We need to feel some wind in our proverbial sails if we're going to have the resolve to even like have to, oh God, dare I say it, like weigh in on the presidential (laughs) electoral politics or have to look at stupid 538 Senate maps again. Like, I don't like this kind of stuff. Um, Electoralism is not like the horizon of justice. However, I also don't want to see like, you know, total authoritarian or whatever Trump is saying, like just just a little dictator, only only on some days, uh, only on days of the week that ended Y, right? (laughs) Like, I'm not really like looking for that, but I also feel like, the sense of like overwhelm and escalation has been really dispiriting, depressing, and demobilizing, particularly like for the actual left, which like again could win some school board seats and sort of see what happens. That would be kind of interesting. So I just wanted to raise this as like, hey, look, the weirdest organization yeah. <laughs> that you've ever heard of had a really good year and then tanked the next year. That just shows like how much a little bit of organizing that doesn't cost a lot of money and so doesn't need like corporate backing, how far that can really go. Just feel like there's something I I want to hold on to yeah. coming out of 2023 so it doesn't just feel like a horrible wash because if I had done any of my prides or provocations on trans issues, well, you know, yeah. we'd have to wrap this show up real quick. Um, but, you know, uh, so I think it was just like a little, a little teensy win. Um, and since I just particularly you know, never enjoy uh, cosplaying as white mom in in politics. Think that's never been put to good use. Uh, just <laughs> kind of happy to see see those moms go down. Yeah, here, here. And yeah, I, I mean, it's also true, you know, winning on those local levels in the way you were just describing the school board level, that kind of thing, actually can make like sort of a quicker direct impact. Like that is where you can stop the book bans from happening, potentially like in your yeah. own community. So, so that possibility is is actually... Uh, enlivening and exciting to think about. You're right. I think that's a really smart thing to point out, Jules. Who knew I'd be giving a little plea for uh, (laughs) American local democracy. You heard it first here from your uh, resident Canadian. Oh, goodness. What's happened to me in this country? You know, I have to say these were delicious provocations and some real heartfelt prides. Um, Danny, Brian, thanks so much for, for rounding out this year with me. 
Yeah, likewise. Well, listeners, that's just about all the time uh, that we have for this episode and for this year. But don't worry, Outward will return. Uh, (laughs) In the meantime, though, please feel free to send us feedback and topic ideas at outwardpodcast at slate.com or via Facebook. Whatever X is, uh, you know, you can find us there at Slate Outward. And uh, just a reminder, if you join Slate Plus, you can get ad-free podcasts, extra segments on certain shows, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. If you're interested in that, you can go to slate.com slash Outward Plus. Our show was produced by Palace Shaw. And if you like Outward, please, please, please subscribe in your podcast app. Tell your friends about it. Rate and review the show so others can find it. And I will uh, see you all in the next gayest year I've ever heard of, which is 2024. (laughs) So um, bye, Brian. Bye, Danny. Bye, y'all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Stay gay.